Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hi, welcome to the Football Writers Podcast. My name's Mike Calvin. I'm joined by Darren Lewis of the Daily Mirror and Miguel Delaney of the Sunday Independent. Now, let's be honest. Chelsea had a bit of an image problem. They won trophies rather than admiration. They were too ruthless to be loved. Enter Antonio Conte. All changed, Darren? Absolutely all changed. I was at the game on September the 24th when uh, they lost to Arsenal 3-0. Arsenal were home and host by half-time and Chelsea looked to shambles at yeah. that point. So you talk about winning admiration. He certainly has done that for the way that he's transformed the side. He's made most good use of Victor Moses, uh, his predecessor. Wouldn't have him anywhere near the squad. And sent him out on loan, Jose Mourinho. At left-back, lots of people underwhelmed when Marcus mm. Alonso came in, having been at Bolton and Sunderland. He now slotted right into that tactical system. Cost out front, combustible, fallen out with him earlier in the season, but playing out of his skin, the, the most potent striker in European football at the moment. I think the job that Antonio Conte has done at Chelsea is nothing short of terrific. He's only midway through it, of course, but so far, so very good. He's got Eden Hazard playing, and, and the little scamp has been saying, OK, there's a three-horse race this title, Chelsea, City, Liverpool. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, it was so conspicuous when he left out Arsenal. No, it's, it's almost like we've conditioned to think that way, but just because the last few years, uh, no matter what Arsenal do, there's always a sense of, well, it's going to end up the same thing again. And was, in terms of Chelsea, what was particularly interesting about this game was that this was different to basically all the other games in this run, and that finally, I mean, the way Spurs played the first half hour and then scored on the first goal against them for six Real minutes. Real intensity about it. Exactly. Well, the way Spurs went down, it reminded me of the way Liverpool beat Chelsea in a 2-1 in that game. And then, obviously, they got the goal, which is the first Chelsea had conceded since Arsenal. So I think that's what made it all the more impressive with Chelsea because, I mean, when you get on one of these runs, you often sense a team, like, they're on this kind of, they've got this momentum, this kind of, they're, they're all in sync. But it's when it's rumbled then, suddenly, sometimes it all falls apart. I mean, I suppose a famous example was Liverpool at the end of 2013-14. Now, obviously, it's a different situation because of the tension involved and all that. But you, like, once the kind, of, the kind of cloud of confidence is disrupted a bit, players sometimes str- struggle to recover it. The Chelsea did look on the ropes, but then the way they came back at Spurs, and, so, and like, I think for that 20-minute spell, just either side of half-time, it was them doing to Spurs what Spurs had been doing to them for the first 20. You know, the interesting thing, uh, Mike, is that 
when Louise arrived, and all of us were deriding Louise because we know, know we all know he was a bit kamikaze mm. uh, in his first uh, spell uh, in English football, and has been since. Um, but he said to us at the time, Conte, I'm going to show you that he can be a good defender. It's my job to coach him and make him into a good defender, just like I did with the defenders at Juventus. And he has done that. He's, he's actually shown us that he can coach and turn players that we see as average, or maybe not quite at it, into quality players. Mm. We've had Max Bentley on, Miguel. He's asking, are we wrong to dismiss the two North London sides? Out of those two, you know, Arsenal unbeaten in 19... That's got to count for something, hasn't it? Yeah, um, the one slight worry with Arsenal thing, they, I know they won again yesterday, but performances have dipped a bit in the last few months. I mean, because well, about, about a month ago, leading up to that kind of the Basel Ludogorets game in the Champions League, they were absolutely brilliant and they were flying. It was some of Wenger's best football. I think they've lacked Casorla, though. When, when they don't have Casorla in the team, I mean, for all these fast players they've got, it's almost like they've got no one feeding the ball. They're a little bit lobotomised when Casorla isn't there. Um, but then, of course, when he comes back, I suppose that, that could make a difference again. But you see, it's just it's something you can never get away from Arsenal because they haven't even gone past March in a title challenge in the last decade. It's, just, it's, 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 it's still difficult to imagine that changing. But, but there, ha there have been glimpses of something possible there. In terms of Spurs, I, I wouldn't be concerned with Pochettino overall. I think the project is still, you know, it's very encouraging. I think he's doing a good job. But I think this season... They've got a lot of issues. I mean, even the way he's been tinkering with the formation, Pochettino, obviously trying to kind of get them out of this funk and respond to last season a bit and give them a few different options. I know players have slightly struggled with it. Um, and it just, it's almost like they're a young team as well. So to kind of maintain that consistency from what happened last season to this season is difficult. But then again, I mean, they actually, they weren't exactly wowing people in November last year, then came into it in January. So, you know, it's, it's possible it could happen again. Mm. City are the bookmakers' favourites, mm. just... Pep Guardiola, at least, you know, he's doing perhaps what Jose Mourinho isn't doing, which is actually following a, a, a strategic yes. plan. And, but he's saying they're vulnerable to that long ball. It was shown on Saturday against Burnley. They do seem, City, to be a work in progress, don't they? Absolutely. There's, you can still get a chance against City. I think uh, they've failed to keep a clean sheet in nearly all their games in the Premier League so far this season. Good teams will find a way to get in behind them. Even teams that are struggling would find a way to get in behind you. You talk about uh, Saturday's game and you talk about that soft centre that yeah. they appear to have. And... Southampton's players earlier in the season talked about targeting John Stones. They, Nathan Redmond said, we knew that he had a mistake in him, so we went for him and we managed to get some joy out of it. So, yeah, up front sensational, as we all know, but it's at the back where they're a bit weak. So Costa could get some joy from John Stones then? Yeah, you'd imagine. I mean, this is talking about momentum and when it's burst. I mean, when, when City started the season the way they did, that now seems actually quite a long time ago. And they did, once they were rumbled a bit, kind of just caused, not a crisis of confidence, but just made them realise, it kind of just became so transparent that, OK, actually, this is this is still quite a long way from a, a Guardiola deal. Because, it all, I mean, it's not just the back, I think, it's that they haven't been quite as dazzling up front, and that almost then puts more pressure on, onto the back line because they're just not flowing in the, in the same way. He, he does have a, a signing or two to make. Aguero, 34 goals, I think it is, in th his last 33 games. Uh, but as far as the other players, the supporting cast are concerned, Sané not scoring enough goals. Uh, Nolito hasn't scored since October the 15th. Yes, he scored five goals in 20 appearances, but uh, you need more. Uh, Kevin De Bruyne, for example, wonderful player, but you need him when Aguero isn't scoring goals. You need other players to weigh. One of the questions coming in is, was John Stones worth the money? Now, it's, I, I found it very interesting. If you talk to managers privately, yeah. they will all say they would have absolutely lumped in on him. 
Uh, well, I suppose first of all, in the modern market, kind of any price is relevant at this point, and you know, football has its own hype reality. So in that mm. in that context, was it, it's a different issue. But in t- I suppose with Stones, I mean, you're not just playing, you're not paying for the player now. You're also paying for the player he's going to become in the future, what he can become under Guardiola, and what he because he's still so. I think we often forget this, mm. uh, and you know, it's, it's not like 15 years ago when it would be players at absolute peak that would command this yeah. money. It's you know, it's it's more, it's more intelligent decision making in the sense that you know, be even beyond stuff like resale value, but the fact that you're getting five, six solid years ahead, that that, that that's what the money is there for. Mm, talking of five, six years ahead, could you have seen the other half of Manchester City's? Central defensive partnership yesterday. You're at Southampton. Yes. Virgil van Dijk. He's a wonderful player. I, I was very, very impressed with him. Uh, he has had a lot of hype so far this season, but my word, did he live up to it in front of a national TV audience. I think he was not only strong defensively, he had Romelu Lukaku in his back pocket. He was spraying 50-yard balls all over the pitch. He was bringing the ball out of defence. He was confident. He was assured. He played with an authority. I mean, in my match report for the Daily Mirror, I used the word majestic because it was wonderful to watch him play. He's only 25 years of age. You could see him either A, inspiring Southampton maybe to get back into Europe for next season, or B, maybe a subject of some huge bids yeah. from bigger clubs well, because he's a wonderful player. I think City have they have some sort of meeting at the hierarchy today to discuss January signings. I think the centre-half is going to be one of their primary issues. They'll be looking for full-backs as yeah, well. Yeah, yeah, probably. Because, yeah, I think Guardiola, he, he did want full-backs in some reserve, but realised there were other kind of positions that were required prioritising. But yeah, I think it's a centre-half and full-back, I'd say. But I said, I mean, Van Dijk's been one I mentioned. He could go back in for Laporte as well. Bilbao. I know he signed a new uh, new contract in the summer, but often with Bilbao and a club like that, that so much of it depended on resale and selling on players, that just uh, secures them for a, a bigger fee at a time like now. How much do you think Van Dijk is worth? <laughs> <laughs> what's the question? Um, and that's you, from you, Mark Hutting, by the way. Well, what's quite interesting during the summer was that they had an interest in Kaladu Koulibaly, the centre-half mm. at Napoli, uh, who's had a wonderful season last year. And Farhad Mashiri, the majority shareholder at Everton, did an interview a few weeks ago where he actually admitted that they had gone to Napoli's asking price for Koulibaly, and that was £60 million. So... If you're talking about quality centre-halves who know the league, who will not take any time to adapt to playing in the Premier League, who will hit the ground running, you'd have to talk about him in that sort of exorbitant Mm. figure. For me, as you say, Mm. money's starting to go out the window because we're talking crazy money now, but he's 25 years of, of age, he's got a big, big future ahead of him. A lot of Liverpool fans on saying that they want Van Dijk as well. Victor Smythe, he's asking us... Do we feel that Liverpool are the best footballing side in the Premier League? I think they've probably actually got, despite what Hazard and Costa are doing, I think they've got a bit more improvisation and innovation in them, Liverpool, than either, than either Chelsea or, say, Spurs. Because Chelsea and Spurs, to a degree, maybe more so with Spurs, but there is a little bit with Chelsea. They kind of overwhelm teams with energy mm. and pressing rather than kind of more... And Chelsea do have do have a lot of these qualities. There is still a lot of magic in them, but with Liverpool, there's almost a bit more. There's something a bit more dazzling about them at the moment. With Chelsea, you're kind of wowed by the power. With Liverpool, it's you know you, you're seeing kind of more some really creative things. Well, maybe a little less so since uh, they've had a few injury problems in the in the, in the last month, and we, we'll see what's going to happen with Coutinho. 
I would, uh, I would agree with that. I mean, I think you look at Liverpool and they've got such a wonderful fluidity up yeah. front. Uh, Adam Lallana in England, due to as the press was speaking to him. And it, he was saying there that the understanding between himself and the other players up front, almost telepathic, yeah. that's the word he used. And it is wonderful to see because they used to be reliant on one man, Daniel Sturridge, for their goals. Mm. Now they are rely, reliant on so many because they have so many weapons. I think they are easily the best footballing side in the Premier League at the moment. Uh, and what about Coutinho? It looked a bad one, didn't it? Ankle yeah. ligaments, which is you know, two, three months plus, maybe. Who takes his place? Well, I mean, this is... It's probably going to take a little bit of reshuffling from, from Klopp, because, I mean, the floor line has seemed so sad. And he, they mentioned Alana as well. I mean, I think what's, what's so key with what Alana does is that he was almost kind of the trigger man for all their pressing. It was once Lallana went, the rest of the team fought. I think that that's why they were so cohesive. So if you take one player out of it, I mean, we saw it when, when Lallana's had a few issues, but Coutinho in that as well. It's, it's, it's actually a little bit of a test for Klopp now in the sense of whether he can get the same effect while reshuffling or how much is dependent on that front four in the way he wants them. We've had Martin Rogerson on and he's saying, what was your view of the way that Klopp engaged the crowd? He really got them going, didn't he? There was a really emotional bond there. How yeah. important was that? Uh, it's very important indeed uh, because this was always going to be their test when the goals dried up, or if at all, or when they had injuries. Now, Obviously, we talked about Coutinho being injured, Lalana. I think there was a concern about him as well. And there was a point during that game where Sunderland boss David Moyes had made it very clear that he was going to park the bus. And at that point where he G'd up the crowd and a lot of anger in his face and frustration, he was basically saying, I think somebody had misplaced a pass and there were a few groans behind him in the stand. And he turned to them and, as you say, gestured really angrily as if to say, look, get behind the team. This is the point at which they need you most. Yeah. And it worked because the, the crowd lifted themselves. I think it's good that as well. because it's, it's, it's wonderful yeah. to see. I, I love that. I mean, I, I think there's a very... There's a fine line. Some crowds, I remember mm. Mourinho saying very similar about the Chelsea crowd, that they didn't yeah. get behind their team and they were, mm. they were very quiet and, and some fans took umbrage at that. But the Liverpool fans really did buy into it. Yeah, well, 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 I suppose the, exi the existing connection with Klopp matters in that way. I mean, if it was a manager on a four, you know, four, four games out of win, trying to do it, then yeah. Yeah. manage the team. <laughs> There's some links which are probably inevitable in the circumstances, yeah. linking Klopp with a potential vacancy at whatever stage mm. at Bayern Munich. I get the impression that he's on a project. Here. Yeah. Do you agree with that? Yeah. I know. I know it's been broached a lot in Germany. Just from what we know of Klopp's personality, and even the fact that he waited for the Liverpool job to come, mm. and, and what he said about Real Madrid, I just can't see him at Bayern. He's someone like he just doesn't suit what he is to go to such an obvious superpower. All the or most of the advantages are financial. No, I, I think you. I think you're right. I can, I can see him at Liverpool for another half decade, a decade, to be honest. All going well, of course, but. Mm. The interesting thing about Bayern Munich is that they lost last week to Dortmund. They lost in the Champions League uh, to Rostov. Uh, they were very fortunate in the weekend with their win on Saturday night. And I think as far as Ancelotti is concerned, there has been some concern. Red Bull Leipzig are in front in the Bundesliga and going very well indeed. As you say, it has been said that Klopp could be a fit, but I think Klopp has a project. I think the yeah. Premier League is the place to be right now in terms of those top-line managers, of which he is one. And I think that he... It was very interesting they gave him that long-term contract yeah. out of the blue, didn't they? And everyone wondered why. Has he got that for being funny? Mm -hmm. um, and I think as far as 
the club is concerned. They've obviously given that to him to give him the security so that he can actually build something sustainable for the future rather than just restoring them to the top and walking away. Mm. And we've had uh, Abhishek Sridhar on, Migs. He's basically asking, will this lack of European involvement be to the benefit of both Chelsea and Liverpool? I, I think it's... I mean, I was actually... I was I was going to do something about it this weekend because I think it's obviously such an advantage now. And even the way, if, like, if you look at the stats from the 2004-2009-2010 era when it was such an obvious top four, it didn't matter in the same way because that, that kind of fixed big four at the time of United, Liverpool, Arsenal and Chelsea. We just kind of had those places sewn up. But since there's obviously been uh, the influence of a bit more like Spurs have, have come on, obviously the, the City money, and now it's, you know, it's basically six or seven trying to get into four. Uh, the advantage that gives teams just the amount of work they can do the training grounds especially with Conte and Klopp who are two managers who you know so much of their work is based as you mentioned earlier coaching players and getting the best out of them and putting systems in place and the more time you have to do that obviously the more integrated the team would be there's fewer injuries mm-hmm. uh, yeah, and, the, and the stats are clear in the last few years I think this season could be the first then where two teams not involved in the Champions League or in any European football which is Chelsea and Liverpool could finish top four but it's been growing I think the last few seasons there's always been one up there that hasn't been involved in Europe mm. We've had Karl Murta on now he is direct and to the point <laughs> Will Manchester United make the top four? That's a really good question because you'd have to worry about the fact that I think in the last seven games they've only scored two goals once and that was against Swansea. Defensively they're vulnerable from set pieces and obviously West Ham managed to get some joy yesterday at Old Trafford. You'd have to be concerned. That said, Mourinho did make the point that when he won the league a few years ago, City were 10 points behind at one stage and managed to bridge that gap. So it is possible, but United have to click and they have to click fairly quickly. Now, we talk about Jose Mourinho every week. He makes himself. He does. Would he benefit and would Manchester United benefit from him not being the story for once? (laughs) (laughs) Um, I suppose the thing about it is, though, the only way to do that is win games. I mean, this is what it all comes down to. In answer to the question, actually, I would have. I don't think United will finish top four. And I think there are bigger issues. I mean, even to come back to what we're talking about with Conte and Klopp and, you know, putting systems in place, United's system isn't as obvious. Like, what they're actually trying to do isn't as obvious. It does seem a lot of the attacking is off the cuff. Now, that does mean that when they're on form, they can be very good. But when players aren't on form, it's like they have no fallback of a system to rely on. And I think the actual irony of it is, I've seen United play worse winning games than they have been in the last few home draws. I think they've actually been quite good. They were good against Arsenal last week with Rashford up front. Um, I mean, on balance, they they probably should have won yesterday's game. And so, so from that perspective, you think if they're playing like that and there aren't too many concerns, but then the, kind of, the overriding worry then is what happens if, you know, the, the more you draw these games, the more doubt creeps in, then that, then that causes issues. And then, then on top of all that, if you have kind of Mourinho controversies, every week it does kind of create this atmosphere around the club that, and, and, and it means any, any, time, any time there's a setback or they go behind it just you know it, it causes more issues because they knew what they were getting into you know we'd heard ad nauseam about Bobby Charlton you know not really being convinced by Mourinho not as a football man but as a person almost they can't be surprised with the baggage that comes with Jose Mourinho, can they? You see, I, I, for the first time, we're going to disagree here because I, I, 
football manager is passionate about his team not getting a decision his way. I mean, as it turned out, Mark Noble takes a swipe and Paul Bogba did dive. The referee was absolutely right in the judgment that he made. But Mourinho's under pressure. He's at the biggest club in the world and his team are not clicking. His team are not, his team are not winning games. As you say, you just mentioned all of the issues that are coming together to make it difficult for him. But he expressed frustration. I mean, what is wrong with that? Are we, it seemed we, a bit forced to me. Yeah, I thought it, it possibly that. did. I, I, yeah. It possibly did. It, maybe it was, we see all, all the time managers doing things to get a reaction from their players. And, and so you're probably absolutely right about that. But I see, listen, I was at a meeting just before the start of the season where there were representatives from the FA, the Football League, um, the Premier League, all telling us that we're going to crack down on manager behaviour this season on the touchline, on the pitch. We are going to make sure that fourth officials don't get harassed. We're going to make sure this, that and the other. I've seen all sorts go on this season. You know, and, and no focus whatsoever. I've seen referees harassed. I've seen inconsistency where some referees book for dissent and other referees don't. I've seen fourth officials harassed on the touchline. And yet Mourinho does it and he is the worst person in the world. And I'm not a United fan. I'm not a United uh, defender. I'm not Mourinho defender. But I would say that I just have a bit of sympathy in this situation because somebody else does it, they don't get anywhere near the focus. I, I think get. there's a bigger... I know obviously, officials kind of treat these things on a case-by-case basis and there should be no prejudice in these things. But I think we can escape from the fact that there is a kind of a wider tapestry here. And even when we look at the referee involved yesterday, this is a referee that John Mourinho Moss. called weak. And there's probably, there is probably a sense, even if it's subconscious... But as soon as Mourinho gets out of line, right, we have the chance to do him. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. I mean, one of the referees, ex-referees, Graham Pohl, said mm. he thinks, he's done a column today where he says that he thinks referees psychologically have it in their heads, we want to make an example of, yeah. of Jose Mourinho. Is that fair to the guy? I mean, there are lots of Possibly other... Possibly human nature, isn't it? Mm. But given all the circumstances, Miguel, how important is it that they beat West Ham in the League Cup quarterfinal this week? Yeah, I mean... It, all the more so because I think in two in both of his jobs in England actually the League Cup has been the first trophy yeah. that Mourinho has won and, and for all that's going on at the club if you get that piece of silverware it can have that kind of transformative effect and obviously so with Mourinho the League, League Cup didn't actually make much of a difference last season uh, but it's a different different sort of dynamic United are trying to build up something again and even if they're not quite there winning the League Cup can just cause that lift I mean it was if, actually if you look at Ferguson's last great spell as well 05-06 for a lot of that season, the United looked in a bad, bad way. Won the League Cup, and it, um, it kind of caused this transformation in the side. Now, it's not necessarily the case that will follow with Mourinho now, but it would just be, you know, it would mean that no matter what else ha- this happens this season, he can just say, all right, there's the League Cup. Yeah. We haven't won it in a while. But the fact that Travis Blazard is asking me <laughs> this question tells me that there is a bit of an undercurrent of discontent. He asks, will Manchester United sack another manager by the end of this season? No, no absolutely yeah. not. I, don't, I can't see it. I think Mourinho, his CV demands that you give him time. He's won the league in several different countries. He's won the Champions League twice. Why would you hire a man with that experience and then throw him overboard at the first sign of trouble? They stuck with Van Gaal and the football there under Van Gaal was terrible. Yeah. I think as far as Mourinho's concerned, it would be absolute madness to get rid of him. Mm. So following on that, yeah. Miguel, Jamie Leach asks us, which manager is under the most pressure. Now, I would obviously think Alan Pardew, who yeah. seems to have forgotten anything about defensive coaching or certainly not getting the ideas across. Mm. There's talk that the, the American owners are going to see how it gets on in training, you know, the usual crisis meeting. 
Is he the prime candidate or are there are others out there? Oh, actually, before I came on, I heard earlier that apparently Palace aren't as dismayed by recent results. Well, I think they've been generally quite impressed with Pardew's work, even kind of around the club. So he's possibly not under as much threat as has been thought. It's an interesting because at this season, to be fair, maybe it speaks to the competitiveness of the league, but just every time you think that a manager is just going to suddenly go, go slide into, into this danger zone, then they get even Billich. I mean, just just a few weeks ago, it seemed that he was going to be the first act of the season. Same Bob Bradley. I mean, had they not won against Palace on on Saturday, then you know it it would have been because especially the nature of that game. But instead, now instead of the massive negative of having been three one up and losing or drawing, he's had the massive boost of pulling a win out of that. It's actually the sack race. Actually, I wouldn't say it's a date given how competitive the league is, but it doesn't it doesn't seem as immediate this season that there's, there's no one under I mean even Mike Field and the whole I think Hull are probably in, in big trouble but yet because of the circumstances it, it's, it's, it's mitigated by all that mm. Were you surprised that you know, Palace were almost being treated as a, a rest home for former England managers <laughs> Roy Hodgson linked there Sam Allardyce who's you know one assumes still in the Spanish villa just waiting for the phone call <laughs> Yeah well I, I would assume that is the case I Interesting with Palace because, as, as Miguel says, Pardew's, or Padu, as Bob Bradley calls him, is good friends with Steve Parrish, the owner, the co-owner. I think as far as Palace are concerned, however, they are in need of somebody with Hodgson's organisational stability. I know he had a nightmare at England, but at club level he does have a decent record. They do need somebody like Allardyce who will go in and stabilise it. You mentioned rightly and you referenced that ludicrous game at the weekend, 5-4 against Swansea. Uh, they were beaten. And, and we do laugh because some of the school defending in, in that match was absolutely schoolboy. To concede two goals after being 4-3 up in second half injury time is criminal. Well, what was the Cruyff line to say? It's not a football score, it's a hockey score. Well, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I thought you, 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 you declare after a score like that. <laughs> the, the interesting thing with Pard, Padoue, sorry, I can't stop doing that, um, <laughs> is that I think however strong his friendship might be, I'm not so sure that will survive results. And that's my worry. If it continues, well, that, that's I think the, I'll stick with yeah. him now. But I think if it, if it continues, and it, it, it's a wider concern about Paris's mind. This actual pattern right throughout his career and everything. Mm. That he comes in has an effect. It does quite well, and then there's suddenly just massive yes. sl- slide off, and that almost seems very difficult to arrest yes. without basically signing a striker. Jamie Leach has come back to us. What about Ronald Koeman? Mm. You saw him yesterday. Not a happy bunny. No, not a happy bunny at all because Everton have won only one of their last eight games and defensively they look poor. Now conceded 15 goals so far in the Premier League. Um, Koeman, obviously one of the finest defenders of his generation, normally a watchword for defensive stability and turned Southampton during his time there into one of the strongest defensive outfits in the entire Premier League. But they looked slow, off the pace. That side needs surgery for my money. Uh, I, I, I think he's one of the most overrated managers around Koeman. Really? Yeah, I, I think he's a fundamentally good manager, but it's almost like he's all, he's often talked in this context as if he's kind of well, like, and he's you know linked to United job, linked to, no, I suppose a couple of Barcelona connection. That's part of that. But well, he sees himself as a as, yeah. a, as a forthcoming he, Barcelona manager. Yeah, he has a reputation. Yeah, he has a reputation as a highly rated manager, but not the record. Like if you go right through his career, it's very patchy. And I think part of the thing with Everton as well was that just because of how bad it got with Martinez and how much the squad needed to change. Just and even a, any sort of different person came in, no matter who it was, it was always going to be that lift just because it was something different. But this, I would be slightly concerned about the slide since. See, I, I disagree with that for a very simple reason. I look at the Everton side mm-hmm. and I see there is 
something intrinsically wrong with that side. It cost Martinez his job, but I don't think it means that Koeman's a bad manager. I think Koeman did terrifically well. I, 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 well. I don't think he's a, like he's a fundamentally good manager. Mm. But I just it's the, the way he's talked of, and I, I think he's a flawed manager as well. I, I, I think as far as uh, sorry, Jeremy, the, the flawed manager, as in. I mean, if you go right through his career, one of one of his uh, one of his longest jobs was one of his first, which which says a lot. Since then, he's always been so willing to move. And I suppose one criticism that happened was that there was no sense of building for the long term, right down to the fact that he he jumped ship to what they, they actually felt was a, was a sideways move. And then, of course, it was, it was brought up yesterday with the kind of with how well Sims played and the kind of the questions about that afterwards. You see, I think with Koeman, he couldn't plan for the long term at Southampton because his best players kept getting taken away from him. He fought to keep uh, Wanyama, Klein. Uh, he fought to keep. But he worked keep in Manic. a similar environment at Thainor, didn't he? Absolutely. Yeah. But he developed himself. Yes, he did. But the point is that when you are trying to stabilise in this is a much tougher league than any other we can talk about quality and technical ability and whatever else but this is a tougher league to survive in when you do lose yeah. your best players and he did lose them um, I accept that he wouldn't sign uh, a longer term deal they obviously wanted more stability he wanted to see out his contract and so he did jump ship but I still do think he's a good manager defensively they were strong they played good football I think Everton have problems within that squad and I think that the reason why he wants to perform surgery and they went for lots of players isn't just because they want to move to another level but because there are lots of big talents overhyped mm-hmm. in that uh, Everton squad there are lots of players who want to move on and go on to better things he's got to rip it up and start again and I think he will do that because what we saw yesterday that Southampton side who were without their two best players Dusan Tadic and Sofian Buffal their record signing they were streets ahead and should have won by more goals mm. We've got Southampton playing Arsenal in the League Cup as well. Uh, question from uh, Ashley Worley. Where do you think, Miguel, Arsenal will finish? Uh, top four. And to be honest, almost week to week, my, my mind wavers between them. Yeah, this season they can actually challenge the oh, same old Arsenal. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's, just, it's, it's so difficult. And to be fair, actually, I for all the criticism of Wenger over the past um, decade, I suppose, uh, he's wedded to certain, certain principles. I think he has been very proactive this season. He's just changed a few things. And I actually think Klopp has influenced a little bit in the way he's used Alexis as a striker. Yes. And I think Alexis almost presses for Arsenal in the way that Lana does for Liverpool. It's, it's, not, it's not completely the same, mm. but there are similarities. And I think one issue with Arsenal over the last few years actually has not just been with the way that they haven't won. It's been actually a lot of the time the football has been a bit ponderous. Yes. And it's been so kind of removed from Wenger's best football in 98 and 2004 and 2002. But this season... Sometimes they've been electric on the on the break. Sometimes now it helps when Bayerian and uh, Casorla are in the team, which they aren't now. Um, so that it, it's going to come back to one of the same old issues, keeping certain players fit. Mm. Um, but top four anyway. <laughs> Last question from Simon Murphy about Leicester. Do you think, Darren, that they will recover and um, in the Premier League, that mm. they've definitely lacked that buzz about the place, haven't they? Mm. I read a terrific piece by uh, a chap called Graham Bryce, who writes for The Sun today, where he likened Leicester to Buster Douglas, who lasted 430 seconds of his subsequent fight <laughs> after knocking out Mike Tyson. Um, and, and it was the shortest reign as champion ever. Uh, I think as far as Leicester are concerned, it's quite disappointing. And I, I, I do use that word disappointing because I think to say anything else patronises them. I think they are a good enough team and they have a good enough squad that's bought well during the summer to be doing better than they have in the Premier League. 
they, it's almost as if they've prioritised another fairy tale in the Champions yeah. League, um, which would be wonderful if it comes off, but they've got a, a duty to do much better in the Premier League, and I think they've been OK at home. I know they drew at the weekend, um, but away from home, they've been all over the place, and, and it's really disappointing to see from a side that really did impress all of us last season. Um, I think... Hopefully, they will stabilise, but they have got to do better. And the attitude within that squad, Vardy's not scored anywhere near enough goals, uh, considering what he did last season to earn the Football of the Year. And defensively, they've been poor. Uh, a lot of improvement needed, but I do think, I do hope they'll climb the table. Mm. You know, we're all engaged by the ups and downs of football. And we've mm. talked you know, for the last half an hour or so about what is turning into being you know, a really fascinating season. I think it would be remiss of us not to mention the overwhelming story mm -hmm. that we're, we're all living through at the moment, the, the sexual abuse scandal. Uh, it strikes me that this is the most important story that any yeah. of us have ever been covering. All the more so because it goes beyond football, because even this has implications for people at all levels of football. So much of football is based on volunteerism, and even the, like what, what are the, the questions that this a story like this brings, and I suppose what's particularly remarkable, even beyond the basic details we've seen so far, which are obviously staggering, but it's that every two, three, actually every day, really, the story gets bigger. There's a, there's a, there's more more coming out, and you you, you you know the picture is building that yeah. of something really wide here and really um, you know that takes in a lot a lot more than one or two clubs. Yeah, to Miguel's point, Darren, um, Mark Palios was on TV this morning talking about dozens of coaches being banned mm. uh, as a result of a football commission in 2001. Now, I must confess, I never even yeah. heard of that. No, nor, nor had I. And, and Richard Cable, the former sports minister, has been talking about the fact that it had been, quote-unquote, in his entry that year, um, and that he had spoken to other people about the fact that concerns had been raised. Well, if that is the case, Guy, yeah. why... Have we not been told about it? Why were we not told subsequently about it uh, when child protection... It should, it should was, be the most pressing was, question they're dealing with. Absolutely. absolutely. I, I can, I, uh, it frustrates me because the overriding feeling that I have is that football doesn't know how to deal with this story. Um, the FA announced a hotline in yeah. response to the allegations that were explosive last season involving one of the clubs within the game. Uh, by the time that hotline had been announced, other players, as you say, Miguel, had come out um, and, and told their harrowing stories. You just get the sense right now, even now, because the FA obviously responded to a, a piece by Oliver Holt in the Mail on Sunday yesterday, articulating that view that they, they, they appeared not to know what they were doing. And, and they announced that they would have a, a review and an inquiry. So and that's classic else. bureaucratic reaction. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. Football right now doesn't know how to deal with this story. There has been a complacency right from the very start, highlighted by the Guardian journalist Daniel Taylor in his piece with Andy Woodward. And subsequently, there has been a, a cluelessness. It, mm. it, it's, it's, it's and the fact has been for two decades. Like so much, so much of this is two decades. So that, I mean. Talking about bureaucracy, that, that illustrate, illustrate, or it's made, made it so much worse as well because so much has been allowed to calcify, basically. And it, 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 as you say, they, they seem they don't they don't seem to know how to unpick it or how, yeah. 
Well, football needs leadership on this, mm. but who's going to give it? Who's going to hold crew to account? Who's going to say to Dario Gradi, for example, and I will name him because he's been saying so far, I've been told I've, I, I've got to keep out of it. There are lots of people who feel that that's not enough from yeah. a club in at the centre of a, a story that has dominated the news agenda. That's not enough. We need to hear from the chairman. We need to hear from anyone who was employed at that club during that time. We need to hear from everybody connected with any club that's implicated because right now what we have had from football isn't enough. I agree with Darren. If you see brave men weep and you wonder about the cowards who should and could have done more. Thanks for joining us here on the Football Writers Podcast. Be sure to join us on Facebook Live next Monday at 12.30. sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusion Apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.